Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. So last session, we talked about the ceremony of the seven seals that occurs up in heaven. But what exactly are the seven seals and how they impact the church and also the world in general? Well, let's talk about it coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We are in a very exciting part of our study in the book of Revelation. We have gotten up to chapter 6 when Jesus starts to break the seven seals on the scroll that has been given to him by the Father. Now, up until this point, I hope you've realized that the book of Revelation just can't be jumped into with no knowledge of other parts of the Bible. And I think that's the biggest mistake people make. The book of Revelation is really the culmination of all the truths and all the prophecies and all the teachings that are found throughout the Bible, ranging from the gospel to persecution and how Jesus will come again. So all the truths of other books within the Bible and all the truths that you have learned are very important to use to understand and to interpret properly the book of Revelation. It encompasses all the truth of Scripture. It sums it all up in Christ. And I think because of that, that's why it's so difficult to make proper interpretations of it. And I think that's especially why this section about the seven seals is probably the most commonly misinterpreted part of the book of Revelation. So what we're going to try and do is explain it to you what I think has the best evidence to show the proper interpretation from a biblical standpoint of what the seven seals are about. Now, to do this, we can't just do it in one session. So what we're going to do, because this is an in-depth study, what we're going to do is today I'm going to give you kind of a big picture overview kind of like a, uh, an outline, if you will, but it's kind of more in-depth than that. It's a big-picture overview of all the different seals and how they relate to the church and the world in general. Second of all, at next session, we'll start breaking down each seal and going through it word by word and understanding what each seal is talking about in depth as we compare it to other parts of the Bible. And finally, after we go through our study of the seven seals, I will look at other passages like Matthew 24 or 1 Corinthians 15 and others to demonstrate how other people like Jesus and the Apostle Paul and their interpretations relate to the way we're interpreting this passage. Because what we want to do is make sure that our interpretation lines up with how Paul interpreted things and how Jesus prophesied things. So that's what we're going to be doing. Now, to start off with today with this big picture study, I want to explain to you how I will interpret these next uh, couple chapters. I've kind of hinted at it in previous sessions, but let's just be real clear about it. 
I truly am convinced from my biblical studies and looking at all the evidence in the Bible that the seven seals are part of the last days of the church age. The remnant church, the true believers, their last days on earth are summed up and represented in the seven seals. Now, these seven seals, once you look at them, you'll realize they're not really judgments from God. They are, in fact, uh, sin being unleashed, sins of man against man, against humans against humans. And that's what's going on here. It's our own sin going to its natural end result. Thirdly, I want us to see that the rapture is indeed portrayed in one of the seals. And I told you I wanted you to be looking for it, and I hope you did your homework. But yes, the rapture is revealed in the narrative of the book of Revelation within one of the seals. And that also is why we teach that the rapture occurs before that seven-year period of time called Jacob's distress or Jacob's troubles, that seven-year period of time where God starts judging the unbelievers on this world. So that is different than what we're looking at today. We're looking at the seven seals, and it is the last days of the church, and yes, it does give us a, a portrayal of the rapture in God's timeline. Now, the best way to understand this, I think, is going back to our passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've kind of talked about this passage several times, and we're going to go through it in depth once we get through with all the seals, because this passage is kind of like a mini timeline of the events that the uh, book of Revelation is talking about that we're in studying right now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 starts off like this. And now, brothers and sisters, let us tell you about the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together to meet him. Please don't be so easily shaken and troubled by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. One, let's talk about the phrase day of the Lord. Real briefly, the day of the Lord is a phrase that refers back to several passages in the Old Testament, and it talks about judgment, but also the time when the Messiah reigns on earth. And that time of his reigning on earth is considered the Sabbath rest of the earth and is considered the day of the Lord. But in the Old Testament, it makes it clear that everyone who's looking forward to that day needs to realize that it will come with terror and bad things precede it. So the day of the Lord encompasses two events, some kind of judgment from God, but also the reign of the Messiah. Now, the second reason this passage is interesting is because the believers in uh, the church in Thessalonica were upset. They were upset because they had someone teaching them that the day of the Lord had already come. Now, if you think about this, and we'll go into this in more detail later when we study uh, the different seals individually, but why are they upset? If the rapture occurs after all these bad things and the day of the Lord when the Messiah is reigning is what we're all looking forward to, then they 
would not be upset if they were going through bad times because they knew that it was just part of the signs until the Messiah starts reigning. But they were upset. You see, they were going through a lot of persecution at that time. This church was being persecuted greatly, and a lot of believers were losing their lives. And so they were upset. And he says, don't be so easily shaken because, and let's go pick it up in verse two there. Please don't be so easily shaken and troubled by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Even if they claim to have a vision or a revelation or a letter supposedly from us, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And we talked about that part. It's talking about the apostasy. But again, why were they upset? Well, think about it. They were going through persecution, and they understood that severe persecution was part of the bad things of the end days. And so they, if someone was teaching them that they had missed the day of the Lord, they were upset. So obviously, you can tell by them being upset, it is obvious that Paul must have been teaching them that the church would be raptured or snatched up by Christ when he comes for his bride before the day of the Lord. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been upset. They would have known that we'll have to go through this because we're looking forward to the millennial reign of the Messiah. But they were upset. They thought they had missed it. And the only reason they could have been upset about it is because Paul taught that the rapture does indeed occur before the seven-year period of time of God's judgment on earth. So that's one reason why this passage is very interesting. We'll go into that a little bit more in detail when we study the seal that represents the, the rapture uh, individually in the next few sessions. But another reason this passage is so interesting and so bears so much weight on the seals is this. It goes on to say, about the great rebellion, and then it talks about the man of lawlessness being revealed. And we touched on that uh, a couple of sessions ago. Verse four, he will exalt himself, talking about the man of lawlessness, and defy every god there is, and tear down every object of adoration and worship. He will position himself in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you this when I was with you? Now, verse six, this is key. And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. So something or someone is holding back the completion of all the lawlessness and the rise of the man of lawlessness. Paul says the day of the Lord can't happen until this is revealed, but something is holding it back. And that brings us to the scroll of the seven seals. To get an impression, uh, 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 an image in your mind of what the scroll was like, I, I got here a, a, a magazine. Uh, it's one of my uh, backpacking magazines about great trails to go hike on. And I'm gonna demonstrate a little bit about how a scroll worked and how these seals work. Now for all those, and there's a lot of y'all that are listening to these podcasts, I know you're listening and you don't have the visual element before you. So I'll try and describe what's going on. But when you roll up a scroll, 
you start rolling it up and it's to protect the different things that are in here, just like I'm rolling up this magazine from one end to the other, okay? So you roll it up and it's real tight and it's helped to protect it. Now there have actually been two types of, of scrolls, scrolls found and two types of uh, ways they're sealed. Sometimes a legal scroll is rolled up a little bit, like I've done here, and then a seal is put down on it. And then it's rolled up a little bit more and another seal is put down on it. That's what, that's, that way it only is broken open as needed for certain events. For instance, let's say it was a will. Well, you'd only break it open to read the first part of the will or who uh, somebody was, you know, one of the children was getting something. Uh, and then you'd break it open to see what the other child was getting. And so each section might have been sealed off. That's one type of way they did the, the, the seals and the scrolls. But another way is they would just roll it up all the way. And then they would put a seal on it. Okay. Now I'm going to use some uh, scotch tape here to represent the seal. And they would just put a little bit of scotch tape on there. And not really scotch tape. They would, uh, they would use wax and thread, but I'm using scotch tape, and they would have a seal. And it would just be a seal or maybe a series of seals right on the outside here. Now, we don't know which type of scroll Jesus has. Uh, it could just be a scroll rolled up like this and all seven seals are on it. The, the imagery there could be that, or it could be a more like one of those legal type scrolls where it was rolled up a little bit and sealed, rolled up a little bit more and sealed, rolled up a little bit more and sealed. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The point is that this is a scroll, and the purpose of this scroll is that, like we said last session, is that God is now telling Jesus it's time to go get his bride. And there are certain events that must unfold for the prophecies to be fulfilled and for the bride of Christ to be reunited with the Lord. So that is the importance of the scroll. And that's why John was so upset that nobody was worthy to find it. But there was someone worthy of it. Now, I want you to keep in mind what it says in that passage in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It said, someone or something restrains this man of lawlessness. Some uh, translations use the word restrain. Some of them use it holding back. Well, think about this seal on the scroll that we described. This seal is holding back the scroll from opening, isn't it? It's restraining the scroll from opening. So when Jesus comes and he breaks the seal, okay, and he breaks the seal, he allows that restraint to be undone. And what happens, just like this magazine springs open, the seal allows the scroll to spring open once it's broken. And so the seals are helping to restrain the scroll. And I think this is a good parallel here. And I think we can conclude that Jesus, God himself, is the one that's restraining the evil from the world until the time is right. 
He is the one that's restraining the enemy. He is the one that's restraining the rise of the man of lawlessness. He is the one that's restraining it all. It may be the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit's power within the church. It may be through angelic beings doing whatever God orders them to do behind the scenes. But God himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God is withholding and restraining all this evil from running its course until it is time for Jesus to come back. So Jesus, in a sense, is the one that's restraining the enemy. And when he starts to break these seals, you'll see that each seal he breaks, something happens. But it's not really a judgment from God that happens like it does elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Each time he breaks open a seal, it's something of evil occurring that mankind is doing to other people that man is preying upon man, or sin is running its course, but it's the results of our sin, and it is what is causing the problems in these seals. And you'll see it more clearly when we go through it. Now, another passage I want to keep in mind is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. People ask, you know, why, you know, do you think the seven seals are the last days of the church? Why can't it be all lumped up in, with everything else, with the day of the Lord and all the bad things in Revelation? Why does the church have to go through anything bad? Why do you think that? Well, first of all, let's explain something. Jesus never promised that Christians would be free from any type of hardship. The only ones who really believe that throughout the history of the church is the Christians, us, our, we, our generation. We believe it because we've had such a great life in our civilization called America. America is the richest, most prosperous kingdom in the world's history. And those of us who are alive now have had a great life. And sometimes that colors our interpretation of prophecy. But every other generation of Christians has had to go through bad times. Just because you get saved, God doesn't remove you from all the bad times of earth. There have been uh, kingdoms that have fallen while Christians were living there. Rome collapsed and Christians were alive and well during that time. Other civilizations raised up and also fell. And earthquakes have happened and natural disasters have happened. All these bad things have happened with Christians still on the earth. And they realize that they have to go through bad times. Life is life. And we're living in a fallen world and sometimes you have to go through that. So Christians understand that elsewhere and throughout history. But some reason in America, we tend to think that we don't have to go through any bad times. But that's not true. Jesus said he's not going to take us out of the world, but take heart. He's overcome the world. But Peter says it even more in detail. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it's displayed to all the world. Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian. 
for then the glorious spirit of God will come upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his wonderful name. Now listen to this. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin first among God's own children. And if even we Christians must be judged, what terrible fate awaits those who have never believed God's good news? So Peter says clearly that when judgment comes, it starts with the people of God, with the church. Now, what does he mean by judgment? Again, because we're Christians, we don't have to worry about being cast into hell. We know we are redeemed from hell because we believe in Jesus. But like we said, when the end times are here, the book of Revelation is already revealed. You're going to be in a situation where you have the, the wheat and the tares, the, you know, the true believers called the remnant, and then the hypocritical church, uh, the apostate church. And you're going to have those that are in between. And we've talked about that. But God wants Jesus to come back for a clean bride, a purified bride. And so there will be hardship that helps purify the church and gets her ready to be a pure, beautiful bride for Jesus to come and get. And that is the discipline that the church has to go through. It is going to be troubles and trials. And that is one of the chief signs to the world that we are in the last days. And so when judgment comes, which is that seven-year period of time when God judges the unrighteousness on this world and pours his wrath out on it, it will be preceded by the church being purified. And that is why I think the seven seals are the last days of the church. That coincides with what Peter was saying, and as we'll look at other passages later about Jesus saying also that the church will go through some very severe persecution before he comes and gets his bride. And that occurs before the seven-year period of time when God pours his judgment out on the earth. So that's another reason why I think the seven seals are the last days of the church. This is when the church is purified and made to be a spotless bride for Christ's return. Now, let's go over real quick with the different seals and just give you an overall big picture point of view with it. Chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then one of the four living beings called out with a voice that sounded like thunder, Come! I looked up and I saw a white horse. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. So this first seal is a horseman. Okay, you've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, the first four seals, one, two, three, four, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that means the horses are kind of uh, in indicating that these seals could be related to each other in some way. Now, the white horse, 
White is always talking about conquering. And usually it's uh, after the war is over. But in this context, it's talking about some ruler that arises and conquers. And yet he's doing it without a lot of bloodshed. He's doing it in a way that it's not a massive war because everything's white. So he is coming to conquer. Now, I think this represents the rise of globalism and the world government that one day will come into play, as we'll see later in the book of Revelation, when the man of lawlessness rises up through the ranks of this government and starts to rule the world. So a lot of people say, no, no, this is Jesus coming back. No, it's not, for two reasons. One, Jesus is referred to riding on a white horse in Revelation 19, but he's coming with a sword to defeat the enemy once and for all. Also, don't forget, who's breaking the seals? Jesus is. He's the one that's breaking the seals open. So this can't be Jesus coming out as part of the seal. Jesus is the Lamb of God who's opening the seals, who's allowing his restraint to be removed so that the sin of mankind can go to its ending conclusions, its, its final conclusions. So he's breaking open the first seal, and something happens to start conquering throughout the world. And we'll get into more details, like I said, later when we go through each seal individually. But I think this is the rise of globalism, a world government. Let's go to seal two. The second seal starts in verse three. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. And another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to remove peace from the earth and there was war and slaughter everywhere. So this second seal is a red horse, and this rider has a mighty sword, and he is given the right and the authority to remove peace from the earth. Now, it's interesting. A lot of people say this is open war, you know, because it's also bloody. But really and truly, if you look at the original language, the word war is not mentioned. It may be hinted at, I agree, but it's not really mentioned. And to me, this is even scarier. What this is saying is this seal, the second horseman, the red horse, has the right to remove peace from earth. And literally, it says, mankind will slaughter themselves. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily a war. It just means there will be total bloodshed rampaging throughout the earth. So the second seal is bloodshed, removing the peace from the world. This third seal in verse five. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, come. And I looked up and saw a black horse and its rider was holding a, pale, a pair of scales in his hand. And a voice was among the four living beings said, a loaf of bread or three loaves of barley for a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. Now, this is pretty clear. This is talking about food shortages or famine. But what's interesting about it is it doesn't really indicate that this is because there's no food available. It's not like there's a drought that doesn't cause food. I mean, if it was caused by a drought, 
the Bible would say so, like it does later on in the book of Revelation. No, this is interesting. It doesn't give any indication that there is a lack of food. It just talks about how it's so expensive that the average person can't afford it. So this is what I like to call an economic famine. I believe this famine is going to be driven through economics. Something happens where people can't afford to get what they need. Maybe it's through because of hoarding. Maybe it's because some uh, governments are taking over more of their share than others. I don't know. But it appears that this famine is not caused by a lack of rain or a lack of food, but rather that it's just too expensive for people to own. And that's the third seal, the black horseman. The fourth seal starts in verse seven. And when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. And I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green like a corpse. And death was the name of his rider who was followed around by the grave. They were given authority over one fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Now this fourth seal is the last horse of the apocalypse of the four horses. This one is called a pale horse in some translations, or more accurately, according to the language, a pale green. It comes from a, a Greek word, chloros, where we eventually get our, 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 the root word for chlorophyll. It's this pale green color. And if any of y'all have ever watched any kind of zombie or horror movies, and you, they portray a lot of dead people with this pale, pallid, light green color. And that's kind of what it's talking about here. This pale, uh, dead like corpse color. And so he comes out and he is given permission to kill 25% of the world's population. His, this seal is death. And it says clearly they were given authority over one-fourth of the earth, 25% of the world's population will die. Uh, to, and it'll be from the sword, that goes back from the violence of the bloodshed, the second seal, and famine, which is the third seal, and disease, and, some trans, and wild animals. And some translations uh, interpret these words from the Greek language as disease of animals. I think uh, this is a little bit more accurate, disease and wild animals. So this is uh, some type of uh, massive uh, death rate that goes on in the world and it's from violence, it's from famine, but it's also from disease. Now I know what everybody's asking. Everybody's asked me ever since COVID came out, is COVID a plague of God? Is COVID a part of God's judgment? Well, like I said back then, and one of the reasons why I decided to teach Revelation is because of the COVID virus. So many people who are TV evangelists and everything and known for writing all these prophetic books, when COVID hit, they were all surprised. And now if you watch on TV or on YouTube or listen to them, they're all making these predictions that really aren't based on Bible. They're making predictions saying they had visions, they're seeing this, they're seeing that. Well, I don't think that's wise to do. I'm not going to question them. Maybe God's giving them a vision, but I've seen the track record of a lot of these people and real prophets, real prophets of God, 
uh, are 100% accurate. And over the years, these people have not been accurate at all. So I think the best thing is to go to what the Bible says. And the Bible talks about 25% of the people dying. Now, COVID-19 is horrible, and it's not over yet. But so far, our death rate is nowhere close to 25%. Uh, the latest totals I've looked at is down around 3 to 4% worldwide of those who contract it and of closed cases. In other words, they've either gotten well or passed on. Uh, but of the, all those who contracted it since it started worldwide, it's only about a 35 to 4% death rate. So I don't think this is the fourth seal, but it could be. We don't know yet because it's not over. Now, another thing I want to bring out about this fourth seal, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it today than normal because this is what everybody's wondering about. And we'll go into more detail about it again also later. But the fourth seal is not just a general prophecy. Seal one, two, and three were general prophecies. But this is very specific. So this is what we call a prophetic sign. This is a prophetic sign, which means it's there. When it happens, people can look at it and say, yes, this is definite. And it allows those who are watching and looking for this prophetic sign to be fulfilled to know what's going to happen next. Let me give you another example. There were several prophetic signs about Jesus' birth. The most famous one is that he would be born of a virgin. An, uh, another prophetic sign that Jesus gave to the Pharisees that he was the Messiah was his resurrection. He said, I will give you the sign of Jonah. You bury me, and three days later, just like Jonah came out of the big fish, three days later, three days later, I will come out of the earth. So he was talking about his resurrection. And those are just two of the prophetic signs that surrounded the life of Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. So prophetic signs are very prevalent in Scripture, but not every prophecy is a prophetic sign. Prophetic signs are very specific so that the people, when they are alive, who sees this specific prophecy, this prophetic sign, come to fruition and be fulfilled, then they know what is going on and they know to prepare for what's coming next. And in this case, what's coming next is the fifth seal, martyrdom, persecution of Christians on a worldwide basis. So if you're wondering, could this COVID-19 be the fourth seal? Right now, it doesn't appear to be so. If it gets cranked back up, like some of the people say it might, and I hope it doesn't, but if some of the people say it might, uh, then it could end up being a, a lot larger percentage of a death rate. And that could happen to the point to where uh, other people get involved, like other nations start waging war on other nations so they can get the food. Remember, the whole world has shut down and things were trying to get scarce elsewhere in the world. And think about it in America. We couldn't get toilet paper and other things. Some places couldn't get enough meat or milk. And so these, these things happen. But on a worldwide basis, it would possibly lead to some nation going to war against another nation to get their supplies. 
And so you can see how something bad like a plague could connect the uh, bloodshed seal. It could uh, connect the famine seal and others. So it's possible that something like that could happen. And that's why the four horsemen are all connected. But we'll talk more about that in detail later. But my point is, this is a prophetic sign. And right now, we're not seeing anything that indicates it is going on with COVID-19. But six, eight, ten months from now, if you ever hear of some kind of plague, another plague, a new plague or whatever, and it has a huge death rate, and it looks like we're going to lose 25% of the world's population with this thing, that's something to take note of. That's a prophetic sign. So the question you should be asking is not, is COVID the fourth seal? The question you should ask yourself, if it is the fourth seal, are you ready for the fifth seal? You see, this is a prophetic sign. And when it happens, whatever generation is alive of believers, when the fourth seal is cracked open, they need to ask themselves, this is true. This is going on. And it was a prophetic sign. So they should ask themselves, am I ready to stand for my faith? even a severe persecution. So the question you should ask is not if this is the fourth seal being opened with COVID. You should ask yourself, are you ready for the fifth seal just in case? So let's look at the fifth seal. And when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their witness. They called loudly to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge the people who belong to this world for what they have done to us? When will you avenge our blood against these people? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brother and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, has been martyred. So this is obviously talking about a widespread persecution. And this is the fifth seal. It's what I like to call martyrdom or worldwide persecution. The fifth seal is a worldwide persecution. And this goes hand in hand with passages of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. And we'll talk more about that when we look at this in detail. Now, the sixth seal... It starts in verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from trees, shaken by mighty winds. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll and taken away. And all the mountains and all the islands disappeared. Then the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy people, the people with great power, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who will be able to survive? So this sixth seal has imagery that is so common throughout Scripture. 
You'll see the same imagery in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll go over it when we look at it then. We'll look at it again in Matthew 24. It has the same imagery. Mark 13, Luke 21, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 17, and Joel 2, a book in the Old Testament, Joel 2, Joel 2 starting in verse 28, verse 32. And this imagery about the sun going dark and uh, weird things going on in, in, with the stars and up in the sky and space is imagery that's common through all those passages I just listed. And connected to all these passages is talking about Jesus gathering up all his people. And we're going to go into it more in detail. But this is what I think is the rapture. In the narrative of the book of Revelation, I believe this is the rapture. When the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, comes and gathers up all his believers, the bride of Christ, and we meet him up in the sky and go to heaven for the wedding feast. I believe that is what is being portrayed here. Now, in chapter 7, we have kind of a an extension of what's going on. Remember how I said uh, John in chapter 4, verse 1, going to different places uh, indicated that it was the way God and the Holy Spirit was showing uh, what was happening on earth at the same time what was happening on in heaven. Remember how we talked about that last session? Well, that is what's going on here. So the seals are being cracked open, and now John is giving a view of what's going on in heaven. First, you know, he saw the seals being opened, and then he sees what is happening on earth with these seals being cracked open and how they affect earth. But then he's now back up in heaven, and he's seeing uh, different things happen. And the first thing he sees is the marking of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. The 144,000 uh, Jewish witnesses. 12,000 from each tribe. And evidently, and we'll go into more detail with it, like I said, but evidently these are people that were close to believing but didn't quite do it. And then after the rapture, it all fell into place. They understood what was going on. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and God uses them as a witness during the next several years when God's pouring his wrath out on the world. Verse 9 is a second event that we see going on after the sixth seal is cracked. And it talks about a gathering of all the people who died and were persecuted during the fifth seal, this horrible persecution, this worldwide persecution, and it talks about them gathering together and praising God after the rapture. So we'll look at those more in detail. But again, this is just the big picture of what we're going to be looking at. Now, chapter 8, verse 1 is the last seal, the seventh seal. Let's read it. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. I think this is pretty easy for everyone to interpret. 
when someone dies, what do we usually do at work or when we were at school? We'd have a moment of silence, right? And in our culture, we still do that. And in many cultures, they do that. Well, this is all of heaven, having a respectful silence for the earth and the people still on the earth because God's wrath is fixed to be poured out. Judgment is coming on earth at this point. The true believers have been spared this judgment, but now it's fixing to happen. And out of respect and of what's going on and a awesome fear of God's wrath, all of heaven bows its head and has a moment of silence out of respect for what's fixing to go on. Now that, I think, is a good point to sum up what we've learned today. We as Christians need to take into account this 30 minutes of silence, this moment of silence, if you will, this respectful silence. We need to start having an attitude like that. Too many Christians in America think, oh, I'm rich. Oh, I've got everything I need, just like the Church of Laodicea. Oh, God will never do anything that bothers me. He's going to let me get raptured before it gets bad. Everything's great. And we tend to have a party lifestyle here in America as Christians. And none of us are really being serious about our faith anymore. But we need to take time and be respectful of what's going to happen. We need to take time and prepare for what may happen. You see, we don't know when these seals will be cracked, but we're supposed to be ready no matter what. Everything in the gospel that Jesus talked about and everything the apostles wrote about in their letters talks about us staying ready, to be ready in season and out of season, to live a godly life now, so that if we are alive when these seals are cracked open, we are strong enough and spiritually empowered through the Holy Spirit and able to stand in the dark days and spread his gospel to every corner of the earth. That's our calling. And yet we're partying too much. We have this lackadaisical attitude. And what we really need to do is reflect on these passages and realize we're not guaranteed a rich, prosperous lifestyle for being a Christian. No. What we're guaranteed is that we need to take up our cross and put Jesus first in all aspects of our life and follow him, even through the darkest days. And we need to realize that there are people out there that are going to face the utmost destruction if we don't share the gospel with them. What if Jesus came back next week? What about your family members that aren't saved? What about your friends that aren't saved? What about your neighbors who aren't saved? And they're going to have to face God's judgment because you're not sharing your faith with them because you just want to party as a Christian here? and you just want to sit on the pew, and you don't want to do your job as a Christian? Shame on us in America. Shame on us in America for not spreading the gospel, for not being 
truly the Great Commission Church. Shame on us. And that is why God will bring the seven seals in the last days of the church to purify us, to make us a holy bride, to make us a pure bride, so that we can please our master and take his gospel of life to everyone we see. And I encourage you to reflect on it now. Have that time period of silence now and recommit so that you are not just someone sitting on the pew and a servant of God that is not profitable. No, make it where you are a profitable servant, a servant that is spreading the gospel and bearing fruit, one that he can look down on you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is what we need to learn from the book of Revelation and the seven seals. And we need to be ready because we are right at the time where they could start being broken open. The church of Laodicea is huge and growing every day. And the remnant is still there, but we're small. And so it's time for the seals to be broken. And are you, brother and sister, ready for that? Are you ready for the fifth seal? Something to think about and pray about and be res respectful about and fear God about and seek to get right with him and become a servant that's on fire and spreads the gospel as a true believer should. Well, we'll pick up more next session and go start going through the seals individually. But until then, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.